0: Right. You have your Bibles. Why don't you open up to the book of Acts? New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And get used to it. Because we're going to be in it for a long time. Um, we are about to embark on a journey through 28 chapters um, of the book of Acts. I can't tell you how long it's going to take, but it's going to be some time. If I had to guess um, about this time next year, we're going to be getting closer to the end of it. Um, now I really am looking forward to this book. Um, we're going to read our verses here in just a few moments. Um, but the book of Acts, really, what it does, it it kind of gives kind of like the first thirty years, if you so, if, if you will, of, of the first century church. It, it it tells us how the church as we know it today. Um, came to be. It, it tells us how the message of Jesus uh, that really was just in Jerusalem at the time in Israel spread from Jerusalem throughout Judea or greater Israel there into, into Samaria and even to Rome um, and then, and then we're kind of everywhere in between. Um, now the, the book of Acts um, it really is an important book in, in a lot of ways. So I'm going to talk about a few of them before we actually get into our verses. But The book of Acts is important because it really links the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to the rest of the New Testament. And what I love about Acts is it's kind of the the continuation, if you will, of the story of the Gospels. And it's kind of interesting, for instance, in Matthew, the last thing we see in Matthew is the resurrection of Christ and the Great Commission, where he says to go out and and make disciples throughout the world, and the book of Acts, we see that we, we, we see that that kind of take place as they go from jerusalem out into the world and begin to share The message of Christ. Um, Mark ends with the ascension of Christ into heaven, and Acts, as we're going to see, begins there. Um, Luke ends with the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit, and Acts begins with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the whole book of Acts is undeniable truth or or proof that um, the Holy Spirit truly came and did incredible, credible works amongst the people. And then the Gospel of John ends with the promise of Christ's return, and from the very first verses, we that that promise is reiterated, and all the way to the very last chapter we see Paul still talking about the coming kingdom of God. Um, It's been said um, and said well that Acts really is the bridge between the gospels and the epistles. Uh, The epistles are what we know as the letters like the letter to Rome that we call Romans or the letter to Corinth that we call 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Now if you can just kind of imagine um, if we didn't have the book of Acts reading books like 1st 2nd Peter or 1st 2nd 3rd John we'd ask the question like well how in the world did these people that aren't even Jews hear about Jesus how how did the gospel make it to what we know today is Turkey how how did it get there or if we didn't have Acts we would get to places like Romans and Corinthians and all the rest of those little letters and we go well who in the world is this guy named Paul why is it that we get the vast majority of our Christian doctrine from these books and we really wouldn't have any idea who Paul is, but the thing about Acts is that tells us the story of the Apostle Paul. Um, without Acts, uh, we would ask to, we'd have to ask ourselves some questions like, why don't we still practice Judaism? Like, why, why aren't we under the law anymore? Why, why don't we have dietary restrictions? Why don't we have to celebrate the, the feast days? Um, that they had to. The book of Acts really helps us to see why it is we, we believe that. In the book of Acts, we're not only going to see the answers to those questions, we're going to see probably really the most remarkable thing about the book of Acts, which is the, the work and the power of the Holy Spirit through Ordinary people, and yet God just does amazing, amazing things. So much so in a very short period of time, as we'll see, um, these, these few Christians that became many turned the Roman world on its head. It, it says literally that they turned the world upside down um, as they spread the message of Jesus and, and, and the Holy Spirit came into people and transformed people's lives. As we go through this book, um, it, it's not the entire history of that first century church. In fact, we, we really don't see a lot of the vast majority of what the actual disciples did. Re- really, we, we see a little bit of Peter, we see a little bit of John, a little bit of Philip, um, you know, um, but really the most of the book of Acts really kind of revolves around the Apostle Paul and in his ministry as he was out starting churches throughout kind of what we know is, um, you know, uh, Greece and, and Asia Minor, which was the Turkey area, and kind of all over those different places where he started churches over the course of, of, of decades there. Now, just what happened as far as the other disciples, it doesn't mean that what they did was any less important. It just, it's just not really recorded. We don't have a real record of what all the other disciples did and, and how far they went. However, um, according to, to church history, some writings from some of the People from you know, it's like first, second century. Um, some wrote, like for instance, Andrew preached as far as Russia. Um, Thomas was said to have preached as far as India, um, Philip was said he, he did a lot of his ministry in Carthage, what we know kind of as North Africa, Matthew the tax collector ministered as far as Persia and Ethiopia, Bartholomew was said he went as far um, as to India, then to Armenia, then to Ethiopia, and ended up kind of finishing his ministry off in Saudi Arabia, where the Apostle John Um, he's the one that we know wrote the book of Revelation, but he did that on the Isle of Patmos um, after he had ministered in Asia Minor in the Ephesus area for, for a number of years. And so the point is the disciples did a lot, and although they did incredible things, they're just not recorded in the book of Acts. But the book of Acts really is, um, it really does link in so many ways. It's, it's such an important chain, it, a link in the chain that kind of connects the Gospels of what Jesus did to how the church became what it is today and why we believe the things that we do today. Now Acts is the book that I hope will, as we go through, it, encourage us. And my, my hope and expectation is that it'll do that and honestly probably much more. Um, through it I have no doubt that we're going to learn a lot. Um, I, I have no doubt that we're going to be taught a lot. I'm sure at times we're we're going to be convicted. We're certainly going to be challenged um, through this. But my, my big hope as we go through this book is that our faith will be emboldened, that we will come to understand and realize that we have incredible power through the power of the Spirit of God that dwells in us as Christians, power to change the world still today. And we're going to see that as this gospel started with just a handful of people and became what we know as the church today that really has been spread to every corner of the world. The, the power we have as Christians through the Holy Spirit is great, and we should live with incredible confidence um, because of that. And that's, that's what we're going to kind of see even as we start here um, tonight. So let's go ahead and read our verses. We're going to read reading verses 1 through 11 tonight before we dig into it, and then we'll pray and ask God's blessing upon our time. Starting in verse 1, it says this, In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles for their instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift gift he promised, as he told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you just again for this time tonight. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for this book that we have that we're going to be going through, Lord. And I just pray as we do, God, that you would just give us eyes to see even tonight, Lord. Give us ears to hear, that you just give us the ability to put out the distractions of the day, of the week, of what's coming, that God, we can just give you our undivided attention in this time. And I just pray as we do that you would work in us. Father God, you know each of our lives better than we know our lives. You know exactly what it is we need. Someone here tonight may need to be encouraged. Someone in here tonight need to be challenged. Whatever that is, God, I pray you would speak to us as individuals. I pray, God, that you would move. That our hearts and our minds, and above all, be glorified in what we do in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's just start this out. Um, in, in verse 1, the writer says here, In my first book. That's kind of an interesting phrase. Well, what we can tell you is that the reason the writer says this is because his first book was the book that we know is the Gospel of Luke. Um, Luke, the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke, is the author of the book of Acts here as well. Um, Who is Luke? Uh, Luke was a a pretty amazing man. He he spent years putting this together, as we'll we'll see in a moment. But uh, we we don't know a lot about Luke, but we know enough about Luke from the writings of the New Testament. For instance, instance, in Colossians chapter 4, in verse 14, the apostle Paul describes Luke as um, somebody that is a a dear friend to him somebody that means a lot to him, somebody that ministered with him. Um, It also tells us that he was a doctor. And so Luke was a doctor. Luke was a friend of the Apostle Paul. Um, Luke was somebody that that traveled with the Apostle Paul. Um, he, he, He traveled with Paul on his second missionary journey. He traveled with the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey. In fact, he was so devoted to Paul in ministry that he traveled all the way to Rome with Paul and stayed with Paul even while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. That's how devoted of a friend Luke was to him. Um, Luke is said to have been an extremely well educated man, um, fluent in the Greek vocabulary, which is important because of the, the detailed nature in which he, he wrote his books. I mean, one of the things you'll notice about um, the Gospel of Luke, if you're familiar with that, is just the, the detail that he uses to write what he did. And what's interesting about Luke is he's the only one in the New Testament, the only New Testament writer that was not a Jew. In fact, Luke was a Gentile, which is kind of interesting. And so he says, in my first book, I told you Theophilus. Now, now we have to ask ourselves who is Theophilus, because this is who this entire letter, this entire book was written to. And now, now I will tell you, we don't know a lot about Theophilus. There's um, there's some thoughts about who he might have been. Um, we get kind of a clue from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter one, verses one through four, where Luke says this. Uh, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us, and they use the eyewitness reports circulated among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. So that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So whoever this man Theophilus was, Luke spent a lot of time, years, literally, possibly decades, just getting all of these accounts, doing all, these, all this documentation for this man named Theophilus. Why? Why did he do this for this man? Well, we, in, in verse 4 of Luke chapter 1, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. Now, Again, we don't know exactly who this Theophilus was. Some speculate that because of his title, which is most honorable or most excellent, that was a, a title often used for Roman dignitaries. And so it's thought that um, that, that Theophilus was the one who kind of financed Luke's um, journeys through um, uh, the, that for those years when he traveled with Paul. Some think he was actually maybe even a bond slave to Theophilus. Even though he was a doctor, many times doctors would be essentially owned by high-ranking officials. Um, whoever he was, he was definitely connected with Luke. Some think um, that... The reason that uh, Luke took such detailed uh, writings of, of Jesus and this book of Acts and Paul's ministry was because they think that possibly Theophilus was actually the lawyer that defended Paul at his trial in Rome, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and some think Luke just may have had just such love for this man, had, had, was a good friend, and um, he, he was willing to do this all just so that this one man could be certain that Jesus was who Jesus says that he was. I mean, I just thought about that, and it's like, man, would you spend that many years putting that much time and effort in for one person? It really just tells you the kind of man that Luke was. He had that type of love and care for this person that he was willing to take all that time to do that. Now, then we ask the question, um, what, would, what did Luke tell him? He, we, as we go on in verse 1. He says, um, I I told you, Theophilus, everything Jesus began to do and to teach. And I'm just going to focus on just three words in that for a minute. The first one is just the idea of began. When he says that uh, about everything Jesus began to do, now the idea here is that Jesus' ministry didn't stop when he went back to heaven. So he wrote to you about what Jesus began, and now he's writing 28 chapters of the ministry that went beyond Jesus. The ministry that was done through the disciples. Um, The book book of Acts really is a story of how the work of Jesus that was started in Israel really expanded throughout the known world. Um, Jesus really spent the vast majority of his ministry right in Israel. A little bit in Samaria, but mostly right there in Israel. And yet, the story of Acts is how that goes out from there throughout the entire world. Now, we can be... um, One thing that's kind of an amazing thing when you think about this continuation of Jesus' ministry is that it's a ministry that is continued to this day. It's not a ministry that stopped with the disciples. It started there after Jesus resurrected and went to heaven. But it's a ministry that we still have available to us as Christians today. And then he says to to, to, to do and to teach. And it's important um, that the work of the apostles was a continuation of Jesus' ministry. It was, it's what gives them such credibility. And the things we're going to be reading is it, because they didn't change it. They didn't change the message. They didn't change the work. They just continued on doing what it was that Jesus started. And I just... Like the way that Luke said this, the things he began to do and to teach. And isn't that important? That the things that he did match the things that he taught? Can't say how important that is in the life of a Christian. That the things that we do as Christians need to match what we say we are as Christians, meaning what we teach, what we preach, what we tell people there shouldn 't be hypocrisy there. We need to make sure if we want to be effective, if we really want to continue on the ministry that Jesus started still today, we need to do what we teach and teach what we do as Christians and so we go on there to verse two then, begin to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Just a couple of thoughts here. Um, Jesus' ministry and teaching didn't stop after he was crucified, after I just said. He he continued to teach and do things, as verse 3 says, 40 days. And so after Jesus rose again, he, he was on earth for 40 more days, Proving to his disciples, verse 3 says, that he was still alive. He wasn't some ghost, he wasn't some you know, apparition, some pigment of their imagination. He was literally resurrected in a literal body, so much so that he ate with them, they saw his wounds, Thomas got to, to touch his wounds. In the minds of the apostles, there was absolutely no doubt whatsoever that Jesus was very, very much alive. And In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, we see that, that he was seen by 500 people or more after he rose from the dead. So in the minds of the disciples, the minds of these, these men that, that went out and spread all this message, there was zero doubt whatsoever in their minds that Jesus absolutely was who he claimed to be. Now, if you've ever wondered how reliable the story of Jesus is, the fact that he was seen by literally hundreds of people should give us confidence. That it's not just some story. It's not just some manufactured claim. And and some people say that. Some people say that Christianity is nothing more than just a fairy tale that was made up by people long ago. And I, I I just find that really, really hard to believe because all of these disciples that spent years... After Jesus died, go and spread I mean they, they went all over the place, traveled thousands of miles just to spread the gospel of Jesus, and the vast majority of them, according to church history, died, gruesome deaths, for the cause of sharing the gospel. If if it wasn't true, if Jesus really didn't rise again, why in the world would they have gone all the way to their death? to that for that message it tells me that it's it's absolutely reliable the stories that we read in here are absolutely true and, and the fact that christianity is still here today the fact that christianity has done what jesus said and spread to the corners of the world tells me that what we read here is reliable and accurate and true and it's something that we can place our faith in as christians but i'll tell you the greatest The greatest uh, reason, I believe, as I've said in the past, isn't because of the proof that the disciples, isn't because of the fact that there's historical proof of Jesus, even historical writings that say there was a man named Jesus who supposedly rose again, according to even secular historians, but the greatest proof is the proof we're going to be talking about in a little bit, about that Holy Spirit that comes in that that gift of the spirit of god that comes into our lives that that Romans 8:16 tells us that, that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of god and I, I spoke about that here here a few weeks back just about that the greatest proof of all that god is real that jesus is real that our faith is real is because the spirit of god that is inside of us testifies to its truth he, he just helps us to know without a shadow of a doubt we can feel him Although we can't see him, although we can't speak to him audibly, there's something about the Spirit of God in us that just gives us absolute confidence as Christians that he is absolutely alive and real. Now, something else that's interesting about verse two here. He says, "Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit." That's just a significant statement as we think about what's going to happen in the the, the coming chapters of Acts, and really even in our lives today. And I just want to read to you what um, what what the commentator David Guzik um, said about this. He said. This was the resurrected, glorified Lord Jesus Christ, risen with all authority and sovereignty, and yet he still chose to rely on his, not on his own resources as a word, but instead he relied on the power and the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. If the glorified, resurrected Jesus needed and relied on the Holy Spirit, so should we. This is a pattern for the rest of the book of Acts, which shows us what the Holy Spirit does operating through the church. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. If, he, if even he was indebted to the Holy Spirit for the power of his ministry, surely we cannot afford to attempt the work appointed us without the same anointing. Can I tell you something? The work we have been given as Christians is not an easy one. It's a difficult one. It's one that faces great, great opposition. And if we try to do it in our own strength and our own power, I can tell you with absolute certainty we will fall on our face and fail. However, if we are reliant upon the spirit of the living God that dwells within us, we can do equally as great a things as we read in the book of Acts still to this day. Now, in verse 3 then, we talked about the 40 days, but I want to talk about the last part of that verse where it says that he, he, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So during this 40-day period when Jesus was still on earth, um, still ministering to his disciples, it says that he was still teaching them, and one of the things he talked to them about was the kingdom of God. Well, then we should ask the question then, well, what did Jesus teach them about the kingdom? Well, what's interesting is we really don't know exactly. That there's really not a lot written about what he actually taught them about the, the kingdom. Um, about the closest thing we do have is what Jesus said in the Great Commission. That at that moment, and really probably the Great Commission was spoken at the same time this whole event was taking place here when he was ascending into heaven. And, and he says there in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So Jesus says that, and, and, and he had told them before that, that his kingdom had started, his kingdom was now. Now, if verse 6 gives us any indication of what Jesus was speaking of, it tells me that he probably spoke of his authority. He spoke of his power being seen and spread throughout the world. And we'll get to that here in a minute in verse 6, but the idea given here really is is the main focus of this book, that, that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is something that we're experiencing right now in the present as Christians because Jesus is reigning right now. He's reigning on high as king of kings and lord of lords from his heavenly throne. He's king as we speak, and although there's certainly going to be a day that Jesus comes back where he's going to have a physical reign upon the earth, as the Bible said, where we're really going to see the fullness of his kingdom come into reality, Jesus makes very, very clear that his kingdom is now. His kingdom is already. His kingdom is present. And is really dwelling through us as his people. So what that comes to mind again this question is questions, how is it that the kingdom of God and its power is available? How, how is it that it's available to us now? And it's the gift that he speaks of in verses 4 and 5 here where he says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift. He promised, as I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what was the gift that the Father promised? It was the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift that God gave was the third person of the Trinity, the same spirit that empowered Jesus himself, the same Holy Spirit that empowered the people that we see in the Old Testament, the same life giving spirit that that hovered above the waters on um, day one when earth was being created. I mean, what a gift! And it's a gift that, that God had promised before, and we see that in John 14, 26, also in John 15, 26, where, where Jesus said when the, when the Helper, um, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, it says that in both those verses, that, that the Father, Jesus says, when I go away, the Father is going to send you this Holy Spirit. Now, notice, if you will, there, that it's, it's, Jesus speaks of it as a gift. You know what that tells me? If the Holy Spirit's a gift, it's not something that we can buy. It's not something something that we can earn. And we're certainly not owed the gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God to us as his people. And I can tell you it's an incredible gift. If you've experienced the spirit of the living God dwelling in you, you know how, much, how incredible that gift truly, truly is. And he's a gift for many, many reasons. For, for instance, John 3 and verse 6 tells us the Holy Spirit gives us new birth into God's family. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us the Holy Spirit transforms us. The Holy Spirit guides us according to John 16 and verse 13. The Holy Spirit teaches us and is our helper according to John 14 and verse 26. The Holy Spirit empowers us as we're we're going to see here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin as we see in John 16 and verse 8. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3, it says the Spirit is our comfort. The Holy Spirit speaks through us and gives us the words to say when we need to say it in Matthew 10 and verse 19. That was one of my favorite verses. Because... Jesus was telling them, because they were worried about, well, what are we going to say? What, what if we don't have the words? He says, don't worry about it. Because in the moment you need them, you're going to get the words. The Holy Spirit's going to remind you. And can I tell you something? That's so true. Have you, if you've ever witnessed anybody, if you've ever talked to anybody about spiritual things, when you just... Be bold enough to stand up and speak. Isn't it amazing, like, these thoughts that start popping in your head? Like, these verses you haven't thought about that you're all of a sudden quoting? You're like, where in the world is this coming from? That's the Holy Spirit. Part of that gift that the Lord has given us. How amazing it is that Romans 8 and verses 26 and 27 tells us that the Holy Spirit even prays for us when we don't know what to pray. Have you ever had those times in your life where you're just you're so bogged down with stress or sorrow or whatever it is and, or, or just the worries of the day and you're just like, I don't even know what to pray for. And you just close your eyes and you're quiet. The Bible tells us in those moments, the spirit of the living God prays for us with groanings we can't even comprehend. Praying and interceding on our behalf. Ephesians 1 and verse 13, listen to what this says. In him you also trusted, speaking of Christ, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Spirit of God in us is the seal, the guarantee of our inheritance as Christians. And probably the most amazing one to me is what 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, that the Spirit indwells us. He's made His home in our hearts and in our minds because it says that we are the temple of the living God and the Spirit of God dwells in us as Christians. How amazing is it to think about that? That the living God dwells inside of us. He, he's chose to make His home in us as his people. I don't know about you, but I don't feel very worthy of that. And yet what an amazing thing it is to think. As we move on to verse 6, the disciples took Jesus at his word about the Holy Spirit and the kingdom quite literally because he asked there in verse 6, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now, why is it that they all had in their head that Jesus was about to take his rightful throne in Jerusalem and restore Israel? That's all they had in their head. They still didn't get the big picture. Well, for good reason, because that's what they were taught. That's what they expected. That's When the Messiah came, they expected him to come and to reign as king, to restore Israel. I mean, you read the Old Testament, you read in the, especially the last number of chapters of Isaiah, you read in Ezekiel, you read in Jeremiah. I mean, it's just packed in there that the Messiah's going to come, he's going to take over, restore Israel. Restore. Israel's is going to be this beautiful place of, of, of filled with milk and honey again, just like it was back years and years ago when, the, when they came into the Promised Land. And that's kind of what they expected and what probably would be even more convincing was a prophecy from Jeremiah, or from, not from Jeremiah, excuse me, but Ezekiel that, that connected the giving of the Spirit of God with the, the, the restoration of Israel. And so I just want to read you these verses because I want to put yourself in the mind of these disciples for a moment because this is the way they thought about the Messiah. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 28 says this Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord I am bringing you back but not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show you my whole, how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought, oh, excuse me. I, I, and I will show you my whole, how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you, before your, their very eyes is a sovereign Lord, Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, for I will gather you up from all the nations and will bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols, and I will give you a new heart. And I will put my new spirit in you. That's the connection with the Holy Spirit. I will, take a, I will take away your old, stony, stubborn hearts and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave to your ancestors long ago. You will be my people and I will be your God. That's what they had in their mind. When, when the promise of the Spirit came, they connected that with this time when the Messiah was going to literally reign physically from his throne in Jerusalem, and Israel was going to be the the power of the world, essentially. And so that's what they thought. It's interesting, we just talked about this a couple nights ago in the book of Hebrews. That's going to happen someday. Someday. The kingdom of God is now but some of these promises made to the nation of Israel specifically are coming someday when they they will see Christ for who he is when they because the vast majority of, of the nation of Israel and the Jews around the world they don't they don't believe Jesus was the Messiah they think he's still coming someday but there's going to be a day when their eyes are open and in that day the Spirit of God or that spirit of God but the, but the living Christ himself will be sitting on his throne in Jerusalem reigning above the people among the people so they really weren't washed up when we think about what they were thinking thinking that day is going to come someday. Now the question is, is when will that day come? And in verse 7, this was Jesus' reply. He says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. So pretty much it says that's on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know. (laughs) That, that, That really was the only answer that he gave them. Now, the return of Jesus is a topic really for another time. We're not going to spend really any time at all on that tonight. We don't have the time. Um, but, but if you are interested, you could jot down a few passages of Scripture. For instance, Matthew 24 or Mark 13 or Luke 17. 1 2 Thessalonians talk about some of that stuff. The um, book of Revelation talks a lot about that stuff. Uh, it, just, I mean, it's packed throughout Scripture, but those kind of really gives you a, an idea of when the second coming of Christ is going to happen. And those, those passages, um, Jesus gives some pretty clear clues about when His return is going to come and all Although He says here in Acts, on um, the exact day and time is something we don't know, He tells us in other passages that we can detect the time of His coming by the signs that are kind of there. And I don't know about you, but uh, it, it sure seems as if those signs are kind of popping up pretty, pretty frequently all over the place if you know anything about those passages. And, and so, what I'll say to that and just in regards to Christ's coming, if you're unsure at all about your eternity... Make sure you know, because we don't know when that day is going to come. And if you're a Christian, make sure you're living for them, because as I've said a hundred times, I'm going to say it again for myself. I don't want to be doing something dumb right before I meet my Savior face to face. You know what I'm saying? So let's live for him as if he could come back any moment, because we should. Now, What's interesting to find about verse 8, now verse 8 really is kind of the famous verse in this passage of Scripture that you're going to receive power, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But what's interesting is that's his answer to the question, when is your kingdom going to come? He said that eventual day is going to come, but I want to tell you that you're going to receive power. What's he saying here? See, the disciples weren't seeing the bigger picture. They were concerned about Israel, but Jesus was concerned about the world. And what Jesus was telling them in here is like, look, don't worry about when I'm coming to reign, because I'm giving you power to continue the work that I've already started. And it's not going to stop here in Jerusalem. It's not going to stop in Israel. It's not going to stop up there in Samaria. This message of the kingdom, this message of the gospel, is going to go out to the entire world world and to help you with that he says this gift the holy spirit is going to give you power now that word power there it's it's not just a little bit of extra strength and in fact i don't i don't do this often but but the greek word that was written here was a word called dunamis which where we get our word dynamite from And so the power that these disciples were given was not just some puny power to give them a little extra strength. We're talking about absolute dynamic power. Dynamic power that would literally transform the world. And even in their lifetime, they turned the world upside down, as I said. Now, the disciples had experienced this in part. Um, in Matthew chapter ten, Jesus sent the twelve out, and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits, spirits to heal people, the sick, the diseased. So they had experienced this. But what Jesus was telling them is, now it's going to dwell in you permanently. That power that you tasted is now going to be yours to go out and continue my ministry. Now the question then is, is what were they? What were they given this power for? Was it was it so that people would be impressed with them? Was it so people would marvel at the miracles they perform? Was it so that they would get faith? and have people follow them like they follow Jesus? Nope. What do you say here? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why? You'll be my witnesses, telling people everywhere about me. That, that word witness there is, is connected grammatically to those who suffer, those who are persecuted, those who are martyred. And, and so the, the word here he used specifically was you're going to be my witnesses and it's going to come with persecution, but I'm going to give you power. And it's going to be so much power that in spite of that persecution, this message is going to continue on until it reaches the whole world. That's powerful. Now when Jesus said everywhere, He literally meant everywhere. (laughs) To all the way to the ends of the earth. And And what's amazing to me is that through his apostles and eventually the rest of the church, they, they did, and we're still continuing today to continue this ministry of Jesus. Again, I said, when Jesus did his ministry, he did it in a very time. Mean, have you seen Israel? I mean, it's barely a, blip on, barely a blip on the globe, and that's where he spent all of his life. And, and yet, the gospel has reached the four corners of the globe. It shouldn't surprise us because Jesus said in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to my Father. Those greater works have been done and are being done because the gospel's spreading everywhere. And the thing is, the same power they were given is still available to us today because the same Spirit that was given to them is in us. And the reason I'm sure that we still have that power is because Jesus hasn't come back yet. He made the promise that he was going to, but he hasn't yet. So you know what that tells me? That his kingdom is still being advanced through his people, and the only way that happens is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So guess what? We still have that power. And until Jesus returns, Matthew 24 and verse 14, the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. We have that same power still today as God's people. Well, then some people ask the question, why don't we see the things that they did back then if we have the same power as they did? Well, can I tell you something? God is still moving in power around the world. God is still changing lives. People are still being saved. Places like China, India, Iran, Iraq, places we look at and go, those are places that are awful. People are coming to Christ by the millions. I read stories about these incredible miracles that happen. I mean, people being healed, people sick being healed, demons being cast out. It's happening to this day literally all over the world. Then we should ask them, why don't we see it here? Why don't we see it in America? I think there's a number of reasons for that, but I think there's two primary reasons for that, as we're going to see as we kind of move on in in the weeks to come. One is we're far too comfortable. See, the people around the world that are seeing the move of God are people that are absolutely desperate for a move of God. They're people without hope. They're people in awful conditions. They're people that don't have what we have here, the technology we have here, the doctor we have here, the resources we have. They don't have it, and so they're desperate and God is meeting them where they're at, and miracles are being seen. But you know what else is happening around the world that we just don't have here? Are the saints of God praying and sincerely praying? I have a friend in Africa. He wakes up at three o'clock every morning and spends two, three hours in prayer every day before he goes. He spends his entire life ministering to to to, to prisons and to orphans and widows and clinics, and he's seeing God do incredible things. You know what's connected? Prayer. I've been reading a book by this man named Leonard Ravenhill who, who uh, was, was a guy that, that died back in the 80s, I believe he was. But, but he was a man who started, he was part of um, incredible, incredible gospel crusades in, 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 in the nation of, of Great Britain or England. And when he was a young man, he was part of this group called the Trekkers who would just literally walk from, from coast to coast, north and south, east and west, and would just stop from town to town and to town and preach the gospel. And they saw just tens and tens of thousands of people come to faith in Christ. But you know it was connected? They'd have prayer meetings that lasted all night long before they would go. They would pray for hours and hours and hours and hours, and, and the Spirit of the living God would just fall in those places, and people would be convicted, and just multitudes would come to faith in Christ. People healed. And just amazing, amazing things. God will still do those things. I believe He'll do those things here in this place, but it's going to take us getting out of our comfort zone and truly seeking God sincerely in prayer. We better move on. We're going to be here all night. So verses 9 through 11, and we're going to finish off here. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven the same way you saw him go. So Jesus, as they were standing there, he tells them this. You're going to be my witnesses. Go out, spread the gospel. And it says he went up in a cloud and disappeared up into heaven. What was the cloud? It probably wasn't some big fluffy white cloud like we're picturing. Uh, most likely, we're talking about the cloud of God's glory. Uh, talk, more than likely, we're talking about the Shekinah of glory of God, that cloud that came down and covered the tabernacle and covered the temple and, and led the people of Israel. More than likely, that was the cloud that Jesus went up on. And here's why I believe it. I believe it for a number of reasons. But notice he says what these two white robed men said. And again, we don't know who they were. Um, many believe they were just angels. Um, some speculate maybe they were Moses and Elijah because they were there at the Transfiguration. we don't know. But, but, but what they said to them, I think, is important. He said, "Someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go." Now why is that significant? Well, listen to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30, this is what Jesus said. He said, that He says, uh, "And then at last, the sign of the Son of Man is coming." Uh, and he will ap- it'll appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among the people of the earth. They will see the Son of Man rem- coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the mighty blast of the trumpet. They'll gather the chosen ones or the elect from all over the, for- the from the four corners of, uh, of the world, from the from the farthest ends of the earth in heaven. Right. And so we have this picture of the cloud, and then we kind of see this repeated in Revelation chapter six. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like read it all to you, but it's like a, a mere image of what Jesus says in Matthew. 24 when he comes back in the cloud and it says these people when the skies open and they see him they hide themselves in caves and say caves fall on us do something hide us from the wrath of the lamb and if you know anything about the bible when people are in the presence of the glory of god it is a fearful 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 sight and so that this promise of christ coming more than likely this cloud was his glory as he was going up into the Heaven, what an awesome sight that is going to be someday if we get to see Jesus split up in the clouds and see his glory. What an awesome time, what an awesome day that's going to be. Now, I just want to notice what, what they said here again. They asked them, why are you staring into heaven? And I think the idea is simply this. Men, you were just given a command. You were just given a promise. Quit staring and get busy. You know, one of the problems with Christians, me included at times, is we can be so focused on what's coming in heaven someday that we don't get anything done here. There's an old statement that says, don't be so heavenly minded that, you know, that, you're, that you're no earthly good. And I think that's kind of the idea here, is that I look forward, I long to see my Savior, but until my last breath happens or until Jesus comes, we have a job to do. Let's not stare off into heaven just wondering when he's going to come back and get us out of this mess. Let's get busy. We still today have the power to change the world if we'll just only use it. Let's do it. As we close, I'm just going to ask a couple questions. One question is this. We've talked about the Holy Spirit as this gift. Do you have it? And when I ask that question, here's what I'm asking. Are you a Christian? Have you personally responded to the gospel message of Christ? Have you believed in the fact that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross, and rose again for you? Do you believe that and have you responded to that truth? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Have you asked Him into your life to be your Lord and Savior? If you haven't do that, done that, do that today. Call on Him and just ask, and He'll. I mean, the Bible says if you call on Him, He will respond. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the last question I have is for those of us who are Christians here, those of us who have the Spirit of God living in us, are you using that power to live for Christ? Does the way you live your life give witness that He is in you? Does the way you talk witness that He has changed you? Are you using the power to tell people about Jesus? If the power we've been given is for us to witness for Him, we should ask ourselves, are we being obedient to that call? And if not, let's get busy. Let's do some world changing, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, for this time, for your word. Just for these few verses we started this book of Acts, Lord. and Just challenging. It's challenging to think of this call that you've given us. It's a great call that comes with trials. It comes with many times persecution. And yet, God, you've given us the power to change the world. God, let us use it. Let us be bold. Let us trust in you, Father. Let us believe that you can still move and still work. And God, I pray you would give us the grace to get busy. And Heavenly Father, if anybody in this place that has never made the decision to follow you, to follow Christ as Savior, I pray they would make that decision today and give their lives to Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. As we uh, close, I'm going to ask the, the worship.